Hey, my name is Ryan McVitie, and I am the pastor of the River Worship. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. If you haven't heard about the river yet, it's an amazing move of God happening in the greater Toronto area. Yes, Toronto, Canada. It's a cold place, but we have warm hearts, and we love coming together every Tuesday night and worshiping the Lord with all we've got. We also get to dive into the Word, and that's where we're going to go right now. We're going to dive into the Word of God, and I trust and pray that it will impact you in a powerful way. If you're ever in the Toronto area, come visit us. We would love for you to worship with us together. But enjoy the message, and God bless you. Well, um, before you're seated, stay standing just for a moment. We'll let you sit. I know it's a lot of worship. Um, you probably figured something out by now. I don't usually use one of these, so I'm not preaching tonight. But there is one coming who has a word for you, and I have been waiting for him to come back because he is one of my favorite communicators of the gospel in the whole world. He's an incredible man of God, and he's from right here in Toronto. He's local. We don't always have to ship him in from the U.S., you know. God's doing some things with some people right here in this nation. Yeah, come on. So I'm going to ask him to come up to the stage. Would you give the biggest, warmest welcome to a hometown man of God, a great communicator of the gospel, Mikair Tolik. Give him a big, warm welcome as he comes up to bring the word of God. Yeah, come on. You can do better than that, River. You know what I love about this man? He's old school and he's new school. He got the iPad and the Word of God together. That's a combo that'll get the job done. Give him a big warm welcome one more time. Come on, while we're on our feet, let's lift up the name of Jesus. If that was for me, that would be okay, but if he's done anything if he saves you if you've seen him do it if you know that you know that you know that your God is faithful can we lift up a sound of worship and exalt the name of Jesus he's a mighty good God he's an awesome God he's a faithful God and I'm just grateful to be in his presence Is anybody grateful to be in his presence? Lean over to your neighbor and just say, neighbor, I'm just glad to be in the room. I'm just glad to be in the room. Because I wholeheartedly believe that when we gather together in the name of Jesus, how many of you believe that something happens when we call his name? Something happens when we worship him together. The scripture says that where two or three are gathered together in the midst, He's present. And I see a whole lot more than two or three here tonight. So let's celebrate our God one more time. And we thank God for the great leaders that he has entrusted to lead us with this movement. My friends and our pastors, Pastor Ryan and Pastor Lindsay, we thank God for you. Come on, let's put our hands together. This is incredible. To see the work that God is doing and to think that this is only the beginning. I'm excited to see what God will continue to do. Come on, let's put our hands together one more time. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me. And in fact, let's turn there before you all are are seated. Since I got you standing, we might as well kill two birds with one stone. I'm going to be in 1 Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, very familiar passage, but we're probably going to look, in it, look at it in a bit of an unfamiliar way. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 31 to 40. I'll be reading from the New International Version, but feel free to follow along in whatever translation it is that you have. If you got it, just shout back at me and say, I got it. All right, all right. 1 Samuel 17, 31. It says, what David said was overheard and reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. 
David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go against the Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me. Somebody say, the Lord who rescued me. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go with these, he said to Saul because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in his pouch of his shepherd's bag with his sling in his hand, and approached the Philistine. And just for the sake of context, although I'm going to be focusing on 31 to 40, I want to read 45 to 50 if that's, if that's okay. And the word says, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with the sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut your head off. The very day, this very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds, and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Somebody say, there is a God. There is a God. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword, that it is not by spear that the Lord saves, but the Lord saves because the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And the Philistine moved closer to attack him. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag, taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, without a sword in his hand. And he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God, we thank you that you are here. We thank you for the opportunity to receive your word tonight. God, we understand that there is no mountain that is too great for you. There is no giant that is too big for you. There is nothing that you cannot do. We believe your report. And we stand here in agreement tonight, God, ready to receive your word. So I pray that if there be anything that would hinder the word from going forth, God, that you would cause it to evacuate this place now. God, that you would open our hearts, that you would open our ears, that you would open our minds, that you would open us to be receptive to what you're doing. I pray that you would anoint me afresh, that the word goes forth with clarity and strength. And that when it's all said and done, may you get the glory, the honor, and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated in the presence of our God. So I want to just test the room to get an idea of who we're working with. So I'm going to say a statement. I'm going to start a statement, and I want you to finish it to the best of your ability. Is that all right? So that's going to require some participation. If y'all are with me, say we're with you. All right, all right, all right. So... Let's start off here. For, the ones of for those of y'all who probably grew up in church, God is good all the time. All the time. 
Okay, okay. I see we got a few people that grew up that know a little bit about church. But for those of you who maybe didn't grow up in church, you got saved along the way. I want to welcome y'all in too. So you probably know this one. It's not as churchy, but if you grew up in Canada, you probably know this one. Sleep country, Canada. Okay, okay. We got some Canadians in the house. Anybody not from Canada, like just wave your hand if you weren't born here, grew up here. Okay, okay, I got y'all, I got y'all. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Okay. So I remember distinctly as I was growing up, when I was much younger, as I was driving with my siblings in the car with my parents, as we would pass those golden arches in the shape of an M, we would scream out to our parents almost in unison, Mommy, Daddy, can we have McDonald's? To which our parents would often say, there's food at home. <laughs> or, or some of you, depending on how you grew up, you probably heard it this way, you have McDonald's money? But, but the inference was that there was food at home and you were gonna go home and eat what you had. Every now and again on special occasions, you know, we would get to stop at McDonald's, but more times than not, we would, we would have to go home and eat the food that was at home. And as I began to grow and get a little older, started having some McDonald's money of my own now. <laughs> I wanted to become more frugal, save money, because I realized how quickly money goes, so I can't be spending money on McDonald's all the time. And I would find myself looking in the fridge, looking in the cupboard, and I would often find myself saying these words as I would look. There's no food here. There's, there's no food in the house. But strangely enough, my mom would come and look into the same fridge, look into the same cupboard. And whereas I would say that there was nothing to eat, there was no food in the house, she would look at what I called nothing and find a way to whip up something out of nothing. It's crazy. She, she taught me a powerful principle from a young age that though you're looking for a finished product with the ingredients, I see a finished product before the finished product is the finished product. <laughs> and, and the principle that I learned is I would watch her whip together something amazing out of what I call nothing. Because sometimes you got to learn to use what you got. And for our time together tonight, if that's all right, I want to speak to you from that thought. Somebody shout it back to me. Use what you got. Use what you've got. I find that in this journey of following the Lord, it's more of a, it's more of a marathon than a sprint. You find that God has you on a journey. There are different chapters to the journey, different seasons to the journey, and as you are walking with the Lord, as you are following him forward, one of the keys to following God is faithfulness. Somebody say faithfulness. And as believers, we're taught that as we are, are, are faithful, God honors faithfulness, right? We're taught that God's favor finds the faithful. It, it, it follows those of us who are faithful. But sometimes, if we're honest in this place, the faithfulness that we seek to walk out, although we understand that God honors it, it seems like the faithfulness that we are endeavoring to walk out is not the doorway to the blessing, but it seems that it is the doorway to misunderstanding. It, it seems like it is the doorway to being discounted, counted out by some of the people that used to rock with us. Somebody, if we're honest in here. And it's not that we don't want to be faithful, but some of us are navigating the tension of striving to be faithful, but realizing that faithfulness does not immediately lead to inheritance of what God promised. And it can be discouraging because you see people who are not faithful. And it seems like they have the things that you think would be a consequence of, of, of being faithful. But I want to encourage somebody tonight that where God has you, God is doing a work in you. God is doing a work through you. That though you can't see it right now, it's equipping you for where he desires to take you. Somebody say, let God do what he's doing. Let 
let God do what he is doing. It can be challenging because you want to be faithful. You know that where you are, you prayed to God to open some doors. You're working in a job that you prayed for God to provide you with. You're, you're dating the person that you prayed for God to, to set it up with. But in the midst of the tension, you find yourself wanting more. Find yourself wanting to leave what it is that you have because it seems like the faithfulness is attracting attacks. Do I have a witness in here? Just wave your hand if that's you. But God is able to use everything. Somebody say everything. Because at some point you'll see that though it takes time to see the other side of what God is doing, though it takes time to see how God is using the unfavorable seasons, is using the moments where you feel like you're discounted, is using what you cannot see, is, you, you can't see or seem to, you can't see it working. God is able to do a work through it. We serve a God who redeems, he restores, and dare I say, he recycles. There is nothing wasted with God. Somebody say, God uses it all. I think that the life of David, David's life, it powerfully illuminates this principle. David, he is the youngest of his brothers. He's passionate. He is faithful. He is committed. But though he is ready to do what he's created to do, David is misunderstood by the people closest to him. He's the youngest of his brothers, the youngest of his father's children, and he is rendered to the outskirts. He is sentenced to watch his father's sheep. Y'all know the story. Can you imagine the smell that David has to endure every day, tending to these, to these sheep? trying to lead and direct sheep that could care less about following through on the instructions that he makes. David has to get dirty. David has to smell like who he's working with. And though he is faithful, his faithfulness does not come without some measure of misunderstanding. This misunderstanding is so great that as God calls Samuel, to go to Jesse's house to seek out the new king, right? David's father calls every one of the sons except him. And it's not even his dad that remembers. It's Samuel that asks, is this, is this all? Are these all your sons? After which Jesse's like, you know what? I, ha I have another one. I have another one. He's tending my sheep. And it's amazing because Samuel calls for David to come forth. And though he goes to anoint the king, anoint the next king of Israel with the oil, the oil does not pour until David shows up. And I want to encourage somebody who may feel like an outcast right now. I want to encourage somebody who may feel as though you've been counted out, feel as though you've been misunderstood while you're trying to be faithful to the assignment of God over your life, God has something prepared for you that will not be released until you show up. God has something that he has on reserve for you that will not be released until you show up. Oftentimes we think we missed the moment because of the time that it takes to get to the place that God desires for us to be. But what God has for you Somebody say, it's for you. It's for you. David, David, his life, it exemplifies what true surrender to God looks like. He's not serving God from a performative place. He's not serving God to be seen by others. He's not serving God in order for people to affirm him. But he's serving God because he desires to be faithful. And every door that is open to David, he doesn't have to force it open. But watch it. David is sent for. In every moment that God shifts David into a new place, David is sent for. And Thanksgiving's coming up soon, right? 
for those of us in Canada, it's coming up in October. And if I were to get a turkey, right, put some seasoning on it, pop it in the microwave for like 10 minutes, maybe 30 minutes, <laughs> serve it to you, you reject it, right? Why? Because it's not cooked properly. There is a process called marination, right? And what marination is, it is the process of allowing what's on the turkey to soak and to get in it. And oftentimes, God will have us endure a process, dare I say a process of marination, because there are some things that God might have anointed you to do. There are some things that God may have put on your life, but you're not ready to go yet. Somebody say, let it marinate. Let it marinate. Because you know that the taste is different after the process of marination. The smell is different after the process of marination. The presentation is different after the process of marination. Because it takes time for a good thing to become a good thing. If you try to serve a good thing too early, it can actually become detrimental to your health. It takes time for a good thing to become a good thing. And God will often allow us to be in a process and a season of obscurity so as to allow what's on you to get in you. The anointing that he placed on you, he allows you to be processed so it can get in you and flow through you. So when he sends you to do what he's called you to do, you understand that it's not me. It's not about me, but I am an instrument and a vessel surrendered to the Lord so that he can have his way through my life. Somebody say, let it marinate. Let it marinate. The dream that God gave you, let it marinate. The call that he gave you, let it marinate. The plan that you believe that he has for your life, the confirmation will come as a result of the marination. Every moment of David's life, he is sent for while he is faithful to the assignment. And I think sometimes we think that we have to help God by trying to force relationships, by trying to force doors open, by trying to force opportunities, force connections. David understands that if God said it, God's going to do it. My only responsibility is to be faithful to where he has me. And can I encourage somebody? God has you in a place that you might not want to be at right now, but stay faithful to the assignment. Stay faithful where he has you. Stay faithfully positioned. Because as you're faithful, when the call comes, you're ready. You're ready. So Samuel... He called for David as David was tending to the sheep. The first time that David met King Saul, it was as a result of somebody who heard David playing his harp. Watch it. While he was faithfully tending his father's sheep. And he said, I know a man. There's a man that plays his harp and God's hand is on him. David was in obscurity. I can imagine that David didn't even realize that anybody was watching. But just because it doesn't seem like anybody's watching doesn't mean that nobody's watching. And that's why we have to be faithful to God when the lights are on and when the lights are off. That's why we have to be faithful to God when the people are present and the people are not. Because you don't know what God is doing in a season where you feel unseen. Because as Pastor Ryan said earlier, we don't do what we do for an audience of many, but we do what we do for an audience of one. And it's as you are faithful to the season, faithful to the place, faithful to the call that God has for you, where he has you, that he says, okay, I'm ready for you now. I'm ready for you now. So let me give you this key. Let me give you this key. Faithfulness 
to God's call is essential. Somebody say it's essential. It's essential. And our text finds us in 1 Samuel 17, 31, where David is now at a place where he was faithfully doing what his father called him to do. His father said, go feed your brothers at the Valley of Elah. David overhears on a conversation. He's eavesdropping on a conversation where Goliath is taunting the children of Israel. I like to imagine the text in like a dramatic way. So as I was reading this passage, I'm kind of imagining Goliath like, look at you puny Israelites. Nobody can step to me. Nobody can stand against me. You come in the name of your God. I'm stronger than him. And David hears this. David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He is puzzled. He's perplexed because he sees his brothers. He sees the warriors. And everybody is present, but they're timid. And he's like, nobody's going to stand up to him. And though he was sent by his father to this place, God divinely orchestrated this place for a revelation for David to see what God was doing in the moment where he felt unseen. Saul hears of David's confidence and he says, bring him here. Bring him here. Let, let's have a conversation with David. And here's the first key that the text teaches us. Preparation can often feel like punishment, but it's not. Somebody say, but it's not. So often we pray to God, God, I want you to use me. I want you to have your way in my life. I want to be a vessel that you can use to show your glory in the earth, to, to lead some people into the kingdom. But though we pray these prayers, in order for us to get to a place where our agenda, where our desires, where our wants take the back seat to God's will, he has to develop us. And more often than not, God does his best development. God does his best work in the shadows. He, 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 he does his best work behind closed doors. So you have to be careful not to curse a season that God has divinely orchestrated for your development. Because you might be so focused on what you want that your wants are diverting your focus from God. Your wants are diverting your focus from his will. And God has to have us in a place where he is developing us. But this preparation, it's not comfortable. Anybody can attest to that? The preparation is not a fun process. But God is doing a work that is equipping you to stand and to walk with him in what it is that he's called you to do. We want to flow in the gifts of God, flow in the purpose of God, but you can't flow well in what God has called you to do without him. You can't walk well in what God has called you to walk in without him. Because if God allows us to go where we want to go, do what we want to do before being processed, before being prepared, what's going to happen as we go through the door? We're going to leave him behind us as we step into what he promised us, attempting to do the work that he's called us to do without him. Somebody say, you need him. You need him. And how are you handling where God has you right now? I don't know where it is that you're positioned. I don't know what it is that you're praying to God about in this moment, but how are you handling the tension of where God has you, the, the, the tension of hearing what God said, but seeing where you are. The tension and the frustration of knowing that there's more, but knowing that the assignment is incomplete where it is that you are. Because it's one thing to wait. It's another thing to wait well. It's one thing to wait, it's another thing to wait well. It's one thing to work. It's another thing to work wholeheartedly. It's one thing to believe in God. 
It's another thing to pursue him, to seek after him, and to serve him with your whole heart. And sometimes it looks like things aren't changing because God has you in a place where though it feels like things are not changing, there's a work that he's doing internally to change you. There's a work that he's doing internally to prepare you. There's a work that he's doing internally to develop you. So be careful to give the enemy credit for what God is doing. Because maybe where you are is where God wants you to be right now. It feels like punishment, but it's not. God is sharpening you for a purpose that is bigger than just you. But you know, as something is being sharpened, what happens? There's a shedding of things that are no longer necessary for who God is calling you to become in the season you're about to step into. There is a cutting that is necessary to what it is that God is calling you to do because you can't go in to where God is calling you to go into with the excess weight weighing you down, holding you back from what it is that God wants for you in this season of your life. So as you see God do his best work, you realize that what looked like punishment was actually preparation, that what looked like delay was actually development, that what caused you to feel like you were forgotten was actually positioning you so that you would not forget God as he launches you into what it is that he's called you to do for his glory, for his glory. Because we're praying for the shift, but God wants to equip us so that the shift doesn't cause us to drift in our relationship with him. Oftentimes we give ourselves more credit than we ought to. We think that we can handle things. That the only reason why we can carry the weight of what God has called us to carry is because he's with us. It's because we have his strength. If he takes his strength, if he takes his anointing, if he takes his presence off of us, the things that we were lifting that didn't feel so heavy, we realized after the fact that it's like, that, that, that was not me. <laughs> that was not me. I thought it was me. I was feeling myself, but I need the Lord to do what he's called me to do. As David is sent for, he reiterates to Saul what it is that he said. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And he tells Saul that I will go and fight him myself. To which Saul replies, as you know the text, he's like, you're a youth. You're a little boy. What do you think? You're talking about you're going to go fight Goliath, the giant that has been taunting us for the last 40 days? He says, you are a youth. But Goliath has been a warrior from his youth. And it's kind of crazy. If I could just lean into this for a second. He's discounting David because David is young. But in the same breath and in the same sentence, he's saying Goliath, the great warrior that he is, he's been fighting from he's young. And here's my question. How will you ever know what somebody's capable of if you don't give them an opportunity? Any of you know what it's like to be discounted on the basis of your age? Maybe some people say you're too young and they put you on the bench. Or maybe some people say you're too old and you have no more value to offer. David is discounted on the basis of his age. He hears Saul's criticism. He hears Saul's critique. But guess what he says? He does not respond directly to the critique. He's like, okay, that's all right. I hear you, but I'm not going to lean into what you're saying because I know what God says. I'm not going to cause myself to be swayed by what you're saying because I know what God said. And as he responds to Saul, David does not respond by trying to question Saul on the basis of what he says. He pulls on the archives of his history with God. And every now and again, you have to remind yourself of what it is that God did in the past. Remind yourself of how God healed. Remind yourself of how God delivered. Remind yourself of how God made the way. Remind yourself of how God opened the door. David looks forward by pulling on what it is that God did in his past. 
Because sometimes the only way to effectively go forward is to lean on the archives, lean on the history that we have with God that will actually catapult us into a place of strength to step into what he's calling us to step into. He says, Goliath, though he is big, he's not a threat to me. When I was tending my father's sheep, a place of obscurity, as the lion came, I overtook the lion. As the bear came, I overtook the bear. And not by my own strength, but the strength of God was at work in me and through me. And as it was with the lion and the bear, so it shall be with this uncircumcised Philistine. Because I know that my God is more than able. Somebody say he's more than able. He's more than able. That's it. I wish I could sing, y'all, but I don't got it like that. But God is more than able. Oftentimes, we'll find ourselves in moments of intense warfare. David sees Goliath. David hears Goliath. The tactic of Goliath, watch this, is to break down the faith and the fight in the Israelites so that they won't step up to the fight before them. Because the enemy often does his best work in the area of our mind. So before you even step into the ring to fight, you disqualify yourself on account of the attack in your mind because you don't think that you can conquer what's before you. David is aware of the fact that what the enemy, the warfare that the enemy will use to intimidate us is the same warfare that God will use to divinely display, to divinely reveal his power at work through us. So I'm not saying pray for more warfare, but allow God to open your eyes to see what it is that he desires for you to see through it. Because God uses everything and anything as a revelation for us of who he is. And to show us what it is that he gave us. To show us what it is that he put in us. And to show us how he's going to use us to reveal who he is at this time. Because sometimes a good battle is the perfect setup for a greater victory. And God is going to get the glory through this. Maybe your giant, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a giant and an attack in the area of your health. Maybe it's an attack in the area of your finances. Maybe it's an attack in the area of your family. I don't know what your Goliath is, but can I help you? God is going to show up in the midst of where you are, and he's going to show himself to be strong right where it is that you are. So don't lose faith. Don't lose heart. Don't stop praying. Don't stop worshiping. The worst thing that the enemy can see you do is worshiping through what it is that you find yourself in. It's standing on the promises of God in light of what you find yourself in. David pulls from the archives and he's able to stand strong in the Lord because he sees that this is warfare. This is real warfare. But the battle is not mine. <laughs> the battle is not Goliath's. This battle belongs to God. And I guess as David continues to speak, as he continues to exude confidence in his conversation with Saul, Saul says, okay, sounds like you have some experience. Sounds like you've got a pretty stacked resume. So if you want to fight Goliath, go ahead and fight him. Go and may God be with you. And he begins dressing David in his armor, puts the sword in his hand, puts a helmet on his head, and David, David puts on the armor of Saul and straps the sword over his waist, and he starts to try to walk with the armor. Young little David trying to walk in Saul's weighty armor, and he realizes. I can't work with this. I've never proven it. I haven't used this. And here's the second thing that the text teaches us. Know what to say no to. Somebody say that. Know what to say no to. David 
he is appreciative of Saul's effort, but he is aware enough to say that this is not me. This is not me. And there are two kinds of this is not me's. There's a this is not me that is based on a lack of awareness of who you are on the basis of your perceived inadequacies. But there's an also a this is not me on the basis of heightened awareness based on divine revelation of who you are because of time spent in the presence of God. Moses, as he has a burning bush encounter with the Lord in Exodus 3 and 4, God is telling him, I want you to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses has a this is not me moment. He says, Lord, you got the wrong one. I'm not eloquent. I can't speak well. I wasn't good at this before you called me. I'm not good at this after. And honestly, y'all, I can't judge Moses because my testimony is very much like Moses' testimony. I know it's kind of hard to believe seeing me with a mic in my hand, but like I, growing up, I was an introvert of introverts. I'm still very much introverted to this day. Maybe a little bit more of an ambivert. Shout out to my introverts. Just wave your hand if you're an introvert in here. So growing up, like I would run from moments of public speaking, I promise you. Like if you grew up with me, if there were opportunities for group presentations, I would volunteer myself to be the one that would press the button on the laptop to ensure that I didn't have to say anything, but I was still getting my participation marks, you know what I'm saying? And then God is gonna call this shy boy who abhors the idea of speaking to preach the gospel. And I'm like, Lord, this is, this is, not, this is not me. And it's not that I doubted God. I don't think Moses doubted God either. But based on what we know about ourselves, based on what we believe about ourselves, in light of what we're hearing God saying, there's some inconsistency. It's like, okay, God, I know that you're able, more than able, but I don't know how you can do it through me. Because when everybody that you see or look up to seems to be doing it in a way that's different than the way that you feel wired, you're like, God, I, I don't know how you can do it through me. But as you surrender to God, as you say, God, you know what? I don't know how you're going to do it. I hear what you're saying, but I see who I am. But I'm surrendering my questions to you. I'm surrendering my doubts to you. I'm surrendering my gifts to you. You will see that God is able to pull more out of you than what you knew was in you. God is able to show you a version of you that you didn't even know existed. And you're able to make a pivot and make a shift from saying, that's not me to God, to saying, that's not me to a strategy that is not in alignment with what God has for you. Because you move from a place of limited awareness to heightened awareness based on time spent with God. And I believe that that's the kind of that's not me that David says to Saul, he is appreciative of the opportunity. He is grateful that Saul, the king of Israel, would give him his armor. But he says, while I'm grateful, while I thank you for entrusting me with this, that's not me. In alignment with what God has told me to do, how God has called me to do it, the way that God has trained me in the moments, in the shadows, I'm appreciative, but I have to respectfully reject this because I have to go in alignment with what God said. And as we grow in the area of our yes to God, I believe that God will also stretch us and strengthen us in the area of our no to some things. There may be some opportunities that come your way, and it may be a good opportunity. There may be some doors that open, and they may be good doors. There may be some connections that are established, and they may be good connections. But every good thing is not a God thing. Every good thing is not a God thing. But a God thing is always a good thing. And it takes daily surrender to say, Lord, I don't just want a good thing. I don't just want a good opportunity. I don't just want a good thing. I want to be in your will. 
because I know I can't miss when I'm in your will. And even if I take a misstep, even if I happen to make a mistake, as I'm in your will, there's room to get back up again and walk in alignment with you leading the way. Somebody say, strengthen your no. Strengthen your no. David's no is not rooted in fear or inadequacy, but it's rooted, it's rooted in heightened awareness based on divine revelation because he spent time with God. He's learned to walk with God, to trust in God, and to allow God to lead the way. So he says yes to the challenge, but he says no to the strategy because God has given me a different way to do the same thing. If I could just insert this, sometimes we spurn and we we, we chastise and we beat up the moments that God has us in the shadows. But I wholeheartedly believe that sometimes you learn to do things a little differently when you're forced to have to be creative with what it is that you have. So whereas all the warriors are accustomed to fighting with the sword, David's like, that's cool and all. I respect that. But there's another way that God showed me. And if you allow me to do it God's way, God's going to have his way through me. If you allow me to do it God's way, I'm going to show you that there's a different way to do this. I respect the offer, but I have to say no. He understands that the weight of going in Saul's armor is way more taxing than the freedom of going in God's strength. Because when you spent time with God, you graduate from good opportunities to God opportunities. You graduate from chasing good things to chasing God and allowing his will to be done. Know what to say no to. Know what to say no to. David, he declines the offer because he's growing in the knowledge of God, growing in the knowledge of who God says that he is, and growing to realize that God has given him a different strategy. Moses, as I spoke about earlier, in Exodus chapter 4 and 2, as he's having the conversation with the Lord, God asks him a very powerful question. He's giving every reason and excuse as to why he can't say yes. And God asks him, what's in your hand? And I believe that the question that God asked him in that text is a question that God is asking some of you tonight. What's in your hand? What have I already given you? What is it that I've called you to use? Yes, you know, God has called you to preach. You don't have a mic. You may not have access to a stage, but what's in your hand? God has given you an eye to see images like others can't see them. You know that you're called to take pictures in a way that others have not taken them. But you don't have a camera yet. What's in your hand? God is calling you to start a business. God is calling you to write the book. God is calling you to start the campus ministry. And you're saying, I haven't done this before, but what's in your hand? Because I wholeheartedly believe it's been said before, it's been said before that you don't know what you have until you lose it. But I believe that you don't know what you have until you learn how to use it. Until you learn how to use it. Can I tell you a story? I'm a gamer. Not as much as I used to be, but I still play every now and again. And I was playing a game called NBA 2K. Any 2K lovers in the house? I was playing some 2K. And I found myself frustrated because one of the players on my team, I was trying to shoot with him, and for the life of me, his jump shot was, in basketball terminology, we say his jump shot was broken. But, like, he couldn't shoot. He wasn't, he wasn't, I, I, I couldn't work with his jump shot at all. And I was frustrated because, like, this guy is, what kind of useless player can't hit one jump shot? Of 100 jump shots, zero, that doesn't make any sense, right? But though I rendered him as useless, something said practice. I'm like, okay, practice, 2K, whatever. 
I go and I start practicing with this same player that could not shoot at all. And I came to realize that what I thought was broken wasn't broken. That the problem wasn't his jump shot. The problem was that I didn't learn how to work with it. And maybe there are some things that God has already given you that you're saying, I can't work with this because it's dysfunctional. I can't work with this because it's useless. I can't work with this because there's no purpose to it. I need something else. I need something more. You're praying to God for more things. Maybe what we need to be praying is for God to equip us to see and to learn how to use what it is that we already have. Because the, 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 the tool, the gift, the thing that God has given you, it won't work itself. But if you learn how to work it, it'll work for you. If you learn how to use it, it'll work for you. And God is calling you to do something that you think you need more to do it effectively. But he's already given you everything that you need for what he's calling you to do right now. Somebody say, I already got it. I already got it. David has smooth, he has a sling. And he reaches down into the stream and he pulls up five smooth stones. And what others would have thought was a useless tool, what others would have thought was a useless weapon, what others would have thought had no meaning, David, he learns how to work with what he has. And what seemed to be a disadvantage to others was actually advantageous to him because he learned how to use it. He learned how to use it. And you've got all the tools that you need in your toolbox for what God is calling you to do right now. For who God is calling you to be right now. For what God is calling you to build right now. I know it's frustrating because it seems like it's not working. But I wholeheartedly believe that as we pray to God to bring illumination to what it is that he's already given us, he will show us how to use what we've got for what it is that he's calling us to do. He will show us how to use what, he, what we've got for the giant that is before us. He will show us how to use it so that he might get the glory, so that others might be saved, so that the giant before us will no longer stand in the way of what God is calling us to do because we have what it is that we need. We're looking for a new thing. We're looking for something else. When God is saying, what you're praying for, I've already given it to you. I've already given it to you. And as you come to me, I'll give you the strategy. As you seek me and surrender to me, I'll give you the strategy. And there's a piece of information that I love that the text speaks to. Verse 40. Verse 40, it says that David reaches down into the river reaches down into the stream, and he pulls up five smooth stones. Five smooth stones to work with the slingshot that he had, the staff that he had. And I had to ask the question, what was the significance to the detailing of the fact that the stones were smooth? But if you study geology, you realize that stones that spend time by the water there's a process called erosion. And with this process of erosion, there's a weathering away, a breaking down of the jagged edges to smoothen it out. The process, I can imagine, for the rocks, it, it's not the easiest process because the things that make it sharp, as sharp as it wants to be, it's chiseled away. But in order for the rock to be most effective for what David is called to do, it has to go through a process of being smoothened. And I believe that God does his best work sometimes when we find ourselves in the process of being with him. David reaches down to a stream, but if I could use my homiletical imagination, I see David going to the river going to the river 
and he takes of stones that have been processed by the river. Stones that no longer look how they look because they've spent time at the river. And I wonder if that's why there are some things that you can't do anymore since you've been coming to the river. Since you've met God at the river, the places that you used to go, the people that you used to hang with, there's a change and a chiseling away that is happening in your life because of what God is doing right here. Because as you are in the presence of living water, you can no longer be the same. As you are in the presence of living water, though it will require some things to be broken away, some things to be chiseled off, God is equipping you processing you, preparing you for what it is that he desires for you to do in the earth. Somebody say it one more time. Use what you've got. I don't know what the giant is that is standing before you, but I know that God is able. I know that God can do it. I know that you're not going to fight this battle in your own strength because if God has called you to it, he'll give you everything that you need in order to accomplish it effectively. Wherever you find yourself, whatever it is that you're praying for, I want to encourage you not to allow the giant before you to cause you to run from God, but run to him. Stand in the strength that he's given you and use what it is that you've got. Because I believe that Jesus, Jesus is able to take the little that we have. He's able to take people that people would call useless. He's able to use things that people would say have no value. And once we surrender it into his hands, we're able to see that he can do more with less as we surrender it into his hands. As you surrender your life into his hands, as you surrender your desires into his hands, as you surrender your gifts into his hands, God is able to turn a little thing into something significant. Because I've heard it said before that little is much when God is in it. A small thing becomes a great thing when God is in it. But the prerequisite to seeing what God desires for us to do, for God equipping us to use what we've got, is to surrender what it is that we have to him. I want us to rise to our feet, and I'm just going to close in a word of prayer before the praise team takes us back into a time of worship. As our eyes are closed, as our heads are bowed, I want you to think to where it is that you are right now. To that giant that it seems cannot be defeated to that thing that is causing you to be anxious in the area of your thoughts, to be fearful in the area of your mind. And whatever that is, as you've identified it right now, I want you to surrender it to God. God, I surrender that to you. I surrender the situation. I surrender the struggle. I surrender the frustration. I surrender the health concern. I surrender the giant to you because I know that you are able. God, I even surrender the gifts that you've given me. I surrender my heart, my life, and myself. And I pray that you would shine your light on what it is that you've given me. That I would have the wisdom and the perspective to use what I've got. Come on, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you are good, that you are God. We thank you that there is no giant that is too great for you. There is no wall that you cannot tear down. There is no struggle, no stronghold that cannot be broken by the power, by the authority, and by the name of Jesus. So, Father, we acknowledge what we see, but we stand on what we know. And we know that you are able. We know that you have a track record of being perfect in all of your ways. We've seen what you've done before. And we know that though this thing looks like a big thing to us, God, it's a light thing to you. So we surrender. We surrender the moment of preparation that feels like punishment because we know that you're doing a work in us that is necessary 
We don't just want to step into where it is that you're calling us to be, but we want to have the grace, the stamina, and the stability to continue to be effective in where it is that you've called us. So, God, we surrender. We declare in the name of Jesus, God, that as we say yes to you, we will say no to what you're calling us to say no to. Help us, Lord God, to have the sensitivity the discernment to know what it is that you desire for us to do versus what it is that looks good, but it is not in alignment with your plan for our lives. Help us, Lord, to learn how to work with what it is that you've given us, that we might see what it is that you provided us with, that we might see that the answer that we're praying for, you already released it. But you just need us to come to the realization that we already have it in you. Help us to use it well. Help us to become who you've called us to be. And when it's all said and done, Lord, may your glory be revealed in our nation. May lives come to the saving knowledge of who it is that you are. And may every giant, every wall, every attack of the enemy that stands in opposition to what it is that you've spoken, that stands in opposition to who it is that you are, come down in the name of Jesus. We come not in the strength of a sword and shield, but we stand in the strength of the living God. So we say yes to you. We give you the glory. We give you the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, we can give him praise. Use what you've got. Use what you've got.